That being the case, we are in the book of Colossians, like I said, chapter 4, verses 7 through 18 this evening. And just as like a recap, since this is the last teaching in our study called The New Reality, I want to review some of the things that we learned over the past couple months. We started this series in December. In chapter 1, starting off this book, we remember that Paul wrote this book for a reason, to a church that he had never met before, to guard them from heresy, false doctrine, which is both a fancy word, both, both of those ways are fancy ways of saying that there are uh, bad beliefs that people have, wrong beliefs, that can lead people down a dangerous and wrong path. And so what Paul kind of basically lays out in chapter 1 is just because, that, just because you're saved doesn't mean that you're safe from snares. The enemy is always seeking to consume, devour the children of God. And that's another fancy way of saying that you, even though you have God as your Savior, as your Lord, that doesn't mean that you can't fall off track. That we all like, we, we all like sheep go astray. And unless we have the Lord guiding us, we can fall ourselves in all sorts of dangers. Then we also learned in chapter 1 about the fullness that Jesus isn't here to deprive us of life and to tell us of all the things that we're supposed to abstain from, like as if following Jesus just means more rules that you're supposed to obey. But he has a full life that he wants you to embrace. And in actuality, both God and the world try to tell you the same thing. In that, both of them try to tell you that we have the key to the full life. But only one of them is right. So then the question is, who really has the key to living a full and abundant life? Is it the world and everything that it has to offer? Or is it the creator of the universe if he exists? And I believe that if he does exist, it's only reasonable that the creator knows what he's doing when he gives you instructions on how you're to live. Following that, we learned about our new identity. And we asked the question, are you hidden in Christ or are you hiding Christ inside of you? As a believer in God, oftentimes we know that we're supposed to follow the Lord. We know that he has the key to the full and abundant life. But then when we're amongst unbelieving people, people that don't believe in Jesus, we're kind of just like, yeah, I don't want to talk about that ever. Because we're afraid of what people think. Because right now, if you are a Christian, it's like the most unpopular thing. And I always think it's strange. Correct me if I'm wrong. You can get people to believe the strangest things. Just Google cults and Google different religions. People will believe the strangest things. Worship cows. And people like, yep, I believe that. Yep, I worship cow. I believe they're, they're a deity and, and whatever. Like, that's strange. People will believe, like, in all kinds of crazy stuff. But if you ask them to believe that Jesus Christ lived on this earth 2,000 years ago and that he died for your sins, that's preposterous. Like, no one believes that. That's the craziest thing to people. Now, maybe it's, it's so crazy and so unbelievable because it's actually true. Because I'm telling you, there are much more ridiculous things than Christianity, yet people embrace it and have no problem. Like, they'll follow these cult leaders and go and live in a commune, and they'll all die because they believe that this guy is Jesus or they believe that he's the Messiah. It's just strange. Then we learned about the new man. And we asked, if we are Christ followers, then why are we going to wait till the end of our life to be more like him, to be transformed into his image? We can be more like him each and every day as we draw closer to him. 
And we learned that in entering into this new life, that means we have to actually put off some things, like an old t-shirt. It doesn't fit you anymore, so take it off. And put on this new shirt, the new clothing that fits you the right way. It's the clothing that Christ has purchased for you. And in putting on these things, you actually have a more fulfilling, peaceful, and enjoyable life. And that's not the only thing that God gives you. Not just the life here and now, but the life hereafter. But that only comes from a security in the future that you have security in the present. That's why we said the peace of God is not so weak that it needs perfect circumstances to work. Because sometimes you think that peace is just getting rid of your problems, but the peace of God is really like in the, in the midst of the worst of circumstances, God can give you the resolve to continue through whatever trial that you're in. We also learned about new relationships, that competence does not determine your calling. The Lord does. That you may feel like you're really good at something, and that's great, and that's not what God is asking you to do. And sometimes the most contrary thing that you would never think of doing is the thing that God calls you to do because it causes you to rely upon him, which is complete contrary wisdom to the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world says do whatever you think that you're best at, what people recognize you for doing, because that's how you're going to be successful in this life. But God says, no, you can actually do the thing that you're worst at if I'm calling you to do it because I have the power to enable you to be successful in whatever it is that I'm calling you to do. And not successful, once again, in, in worldly terms, but successful in God's economy. Finally, we learned the last time we met two weeks ago in the message called Maranatha about living in light of the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. Living in light of the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. What problem are you going through right now that would be solved by the rapture? Solved by Jesus coming back. And, and whatever it is that we face in light of eternity really isn't that big, right? And so as Paul finishes out this letter to the Colossian church in chapter 4, he gives a bunch of shout-outs. Let's read in verse 7, and then we'll pray. Tychicus a beloved brother, faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord will tell you all the news about me. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will make known to you all things which are happening here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. With Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice... These are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a bondservant of Christ, greets you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. Hierop I can't talk now. Hierapolis. There you go. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. Greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphus and the church that is in his house. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from, the La from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. This, is the, uh, this salutation by my own hand, Paul, remember my chains, grace be with you, amen. And Lord, we pray as we dig deep into your word and close out this letter to the people that were the Colossians. We pray that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen.
So a couple of weeks ago, I saw a fantastic movie called Beauty and the Beast. It was amazing. Now listen, if you're judging me right now, I don't care. It was that amazing. And I did something in this movie I don't usually do. I was so overcome with so much emotion <laughs> that at the end of the movie, I didn't get up. I was sitting next to Josh Bonnering. You're going down with me. I saw the movie with Josh. Not weird. A bunch of my guy friends. Zach Peck was there too. And I was waiting for someone to pick me up out of my chair because I couldn't move. It's like something was restraining me. Perhaps a spirit was holding me. I'm kidding. But this is what I did. I watched the entire, entire ending credits. I never do that. Movie's over. Get up. Talk with your friends about the movie. But I couldn't move. And I watched. I'm reading every name and whatever. And all that to say is a sloppy way of saying this is kind of like the ending credits to a book. Where, where Paul gives a bunch of shout outs. I didn't think that through too well. When I wrote that down, it seemed like it would be a great transition. <laughs> but here's the point. What Paul is doing after he writes this entire treatise to the people of Colossians, he is, uh, he is giving a bunch of shout-outs to his friends and, and giving personal remarks. And what I love about this is it shows us that the ministry is a team effort. There are more than just the main characters on display that were working behind the scenes. And what Paul is saying is, even though I'm a prisoner and I am dedicated to the mission of God, there are other people that are supporting me that I want you to know about because they have things that they're going to tell you. This guy, Tychicus, was a messenger that Paul handed not only the letter to the Colossians, but also Ephesians, the letter to uh, Laodicea, and also the letter to Philemon. And so Tychicus was a messenger that helped Paul out by sending out all these different letters and traveling, and he calls him a beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. So what are some things that we can learn from Paul's friends? And that's what we're going to go over this evening. We're going to go over different people that Paul calls out and says, these are the people that I have labored with in the spreading of the good news of Jesus, and they have meant a lot to me. And the first person or the first two people, is Tychicus and Onesimus. And these both people had a faithful reputation. And that's what we're to be gleaning from them this evening, is that we also, just as they had a faithful reputation, we are to have a faithful reputation. So Onesimus was called a faithful and beloved brother. Many of you guys have Instagrams. And on your Instagram bio, you have a one-liner, right? So what do you put for your one-liner? Many people put something like maybe their school, maybe the college they're going to after they graduate, the sports that they do, or you, you feel like you need to put in a Bible verse, so you just kind of put in the reference there in like tiny little parentheses or whatever and hope that like non-Christian people don't know what that is and they just kind of glance over it. What would be in your bio if God was the one to make it for you? What would God put on your Instagram bio? I almost feel like for Tychicus, that's what it would have been for him. Beloved brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. So here's a better question maybe. What are you known for? If I were to ask other people about your reputation, what would they say about you? Would they say 
yeah, you know, that guy's great, but, you know, kind of a gossip. Or would they say, you know what, that person is probably the most gracious person I've ever met. That person is the most kind person I've ever met. What kind of reputation do you have amongst your friends? And then beyond that, because all of us make mistakes, so don't want to say that you have to have a perfect reputation, but what is it that you want to be made known for? What is it that you want other people to remember after you are gone? These two guys, Tychicus and Onesimus, had a great reputation, and they are remembered in the Holy Scriptures as people that had a faithful reputation. When you have a faithful reputation amongst other people, a faithful reputation can position you for a greater mission. A faithful reputation can position you for a greater mission. When people know that you've been faithful in little, you can be trusted with much. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon or money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? So because Tychicus had a faithful reputation, he was therefore used of Paul and of God to be sent. Knowing that Tychicus was a person who always got the job done, Paul could say to him, hey, listen, I need you to hand four letters of the New Testament to people. Or three, rather. One of them got lost. But it's not supposed to be in the Bible. We can talk about that later. So three letters of the New Testament. A lot of you are confused. That's okay. We'll talk about it later. Three letters of the New Testament. Wait a minute. Did he lose it? No, he probably did. They probably got the letter. Don't worry. So Tychicus was faithful in little, and so he could be trusted in much. What have you been faithful in that people can trust you with much? Maybe it's the same thing as in Luke chapter 16, where you've been faithful in money, and therefore you can be trusted, be trusted with more money. It's like your parents seeing how you spend your allowance every single week, or seeing how you have a job, but you still somehow have no money. Kind of don't want to give you money when you ask, hey, listen, I, I kind of just, this one time, I just need $25 to go see this concert. And I, I had to use my money on food this week. And, I, you know, I, I don't get paid much at my job. Your parents might not want to give you money if you have not been faithful and little. But if you have a good reputation, perhaps you'll be trusted in much. And it's the same thing in our Christian life that if we are people that are known for kindness, if we're known for being trustworthy, perhaps other people will feel safe in confiding in you. Whereas if we constantly gossip or backbite or whatever, perhaps people won't feel like they can trust you because they feel like you're going to share that information with everybody else. Be careful when you gossip even with your close friends because maybe your close friend as close as they may be, may not feel like they want to trust you with secrets because of how much of a habit you've made of making fun of other people or exposing them. And this is what we are to do as believers and as Christians, is to make sure that we have a faithful reputation. Kent Hughes is a commentator, and he said this about this passage. When Tychicus was doing the smallest thing, he was serving Christ. We moderns run the danger of dichotomizing our lives into religious, non-religious, sacred, secular, great, and small. But our Lord said and did otherwise. Jesus said, I always do the things that are pleasing to him in John chapter 8, verse 29. Do you see your life as when I'm at church, I'll be concentrating, I'll be in the word of God. 
when I'm at home, uh, we'll see. Or maybe the smallest task that your parents ask you to do, you're not faithful with because, uh, I mean, it's really not that big of a deal. But could we do, as Jesus did, being faithful and small, being trusted over many things? And so what was this purpose for which Tychicus was sent? And we saw that it wasn't just to deliver these letters. In verse 7 through 8, it says, uh, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me, me being Paul. And he said, I'm sending you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. I love that. So he was to do two things. The first thing is to tell the people there personal details about Paul's life. So he wasn't going to bother, you know, the entire church with this letter as it's being read about the personal details of how Paul is doing. Instead, he wanted Tychicus to tell him personally and then also know them intimately and personally so that he would be able to comfort them in their struggles and in their circumstances. So my application that I drew out of this that I think would be great for us tonight is this. How well do you really know the person that's on your left and on your right? You're like, eyeing them up. Like, uh, I think I know them pretty good. Right? But not just in a superficial way, not even the way that you think that you know them. But do you know everything that they're struggling with? Do you know if they had a great day today or if they're just putting on a face? Do you know what's burdening their hearts? Do you know who they like? No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to know that. But sometimes, and listen, there might be a person on your left or your right. You don't know. Maybe it's their first time here. You've never seen them before in your life. But the key is all of us are to be accountable to each other because we're all brothers and sisters of God. Now, if that's the case, that doesn't mean that you're really brothers and sisters with the people in your small group, the people in your class, the people in your grade. That means each and every person here has an obligation mandated by God to love one another. And not just that, but we are to just not superficially love each other and like, well, God told me to love you, so I'm going to like hang out with you, I guess. But to really know each other. When you're praying for one another, do you know what they're struggling with? Are you there for them in their darkest hour? And do they feel like they can count on you when they're hurting? This is what Tychicus' job was, to know the people of Colossae in an intimate way so he could report it to Paul and tell them about what Paul was dealing with at the same time. So Onesimus was another person, and he was a faithful and beloved brother, and he says, who is one of you. Now Onesimus, we know, from the book of Philemon, which is the next book that, uh, Paul, that Tychicus actually delivered, because Philemon was from the church of the Colossians, but this is a personal letter written to him because this guy Onesimus was actually Philemon's slave who robbed him, most likely, or took advantage of him and then ran away. But then as Onesimus ran away, he ran into Paul, got saved, and then Paul writes this entire letter specifically to Philemon saying, hey, listen, I know you're pretty mad because this guy Onesimus robbed you or did whatever. Whatever fault he did to you, account it to me because he is a true believer in Jesus and God has changed his heart. And now I'm sending him back to you so that you can re reconcile with him. And so what I love about this is Paul didn't see him as a slave, a lesser human, whatever. He said, he is one of you. He's a faithful and beloved brother. No matter what he has been known for, 
And no matter what people think about him, you need to know he's a faithful brother and I love him and the Lord loves him too. There may be a person that you know that is backslidden, has not been in church in a while. If they were to come back, how would you treat them? Would you embrace them? Would you love them? Or would you be like, well, that person stabbed me in the back. I was kind of glad that they were removed. I'm kind of glad they didn't come back. Or would you have God's heart to say, they, you know what? If God can work in their heart, praise the Lord that, that he would come back. Praise the Lord that they would come back to the family of God. Listen, if one of you stumbled into sin, I hope that you know that you can always find your way back here and we'll never judge you. We'll never, we'll, it's not like we're going to pretend like what you did isn't sin, but we're here to heal and, and to help you through whatever struggle it is that you have. Otherwise, all we're going to do when we come here is have superficial relationships where we can't ever be vulnerable. We can't ever talk about our sin. But that's not what God intends. So the second thing, not only are we to have a faithful reputation, but the second thing is to be people that comfort one another. And that's what we see in verse 9, the second set of people. It says in verse 9, it says, or sorry, verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you with Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, about whom you received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are my only fellow workers for the kingdom of God who are of the circumcision. They have proved to be a comfort to me. So that phrase, of the circumcision, really just means that they were Jewish people. And so he names three Jewish people, and then he goes on to named three Gentiles. But the first one, he says, is Aristarchus, who was a traveling companion of Paul, and he says is an, also a fellow prisoner. And what I love about this is this guy Aristarchus followed Paul wherever he was, even to the point of chains. When our friends are going through trials and tribulations, do we walk with them through their suffering, through their trials, so we can be a person of comfort for them? Listen, this is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Very easy to rejoice with those who rejoice, but do we also weep with those who weep? Can we be there with our friends when they're hurting and not just in their best moments? There's nothing more lonely than having the contrast of people that celebrate your victories but abandon you in your losses. There's nothing more lonely because you recognize in that moment they were only with me when I was doing well. They're not my true friends. I know a person right now who's been coming to the church and the Lord has touched his heart. It's amazing. We're celebrating. But he's also noticed that as he is having the Lord change him from the inside out, all of his friends are not celebrating the fact that he's coming to church. They're almost treating him like an outsider, like they weren't his friends. Because as long as he's not indulging in the same sins that they're indulging, they almost don't want to talk to him anymore. And they're just saying, why are you going to church? I'll never go to church. Whatever. Listen, if those people can't rejoice with you when you rejoice and suffer with you as you weep, are they really your true friends? And this is what we're supposed to do as a family of God. And Aristarchus was such a good friend of Paul that he said, I'm going to go with you even if it means we're going to prison together. It reminds me of Ruth, right? When Naomi said, Ruth, you know what? I'm cursed by God. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Call me bitter because God doesn't love me. He doesn't care for me. He has cursed me. 
So you go on and try to get married because you're still young and you have your whole life in front of you. And what did Ruth, Ruth say to Naomi? She said, wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. She knew even if it meant giving up the fact that she might never get married, she wanted to be with someone to comfort her. And I've appreciated the times in my life when I was going through hard times and I had a friend who would take off time from his obligations, his activities, to sit with me, to cry with me, to be on the phone with me. There have been people in my life, and I hope that you have people like that in your life too. And if not, that's what we're here to do. Maybe the, the reason why we have so many people in this youth group isn't just because people are here because it's like the worship's awesome or they like the Bible teaching or whatever, but they, they really have found a family. And I hope that every single person here feels that way. Another person he mentions is Mark. Now, the interesting thing about this is that if you know anything about the New Testament, and you don't have to, but I'll fill you in. This guy, John Mark, is also the writer of the Gospel of Mark. And there was at one point this guy, Barnabas, who was also another one of the, uh, the people that were being able to push forward the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And he was also laboring with Paul. But then at one point, we know from, I think it's Acts chapter 13, that John Mark had gone on a missionary journey with Paul and then abandoned the mission halfway through. And because of that, Paul is just like, man, I don't know. And we don't know the reasons why he did that, but he just kind of jumped chip. He was saying, you know what, I'm, I'm tapping out. I don't know if I can keep on going on this journey. And so because of that, Paul felt like he, was, he had a weakness. He wasn't fully ready. And so he didn't want to bring him on any more missionary journeys. Well, Barnabas disagreed with Paul. Now, how do you disagree with Paul? Imagine being that guy. Like, Paul, you're wrong. Just, can you say that? I don't know. But we learned in the book of Acts that there's such a sharp contention between Barnabas and Paul. Barnabas saying, I'm taking Mark. And Paul saying, I don't think Mark's ready. That they actually split ways. And they, they kind of just went their separate ways. And as they did, the gospel was able to go in two different areas. But it seems like Paul was pretty mad at Mark and pretty mad at Barnabas. But here, Paul, what does Paul say about Mark? In verse 10, he says, Greece you with Mark, the son of, uh, the cousin of Barnabas. So it seems, and he says, about whom you see restrictions, and if he comes to you, welcome him. So what you see here is Paul recognized how to reconcile with people that he's been upset with, and people that have offended him, people that have even deserted him. And we are to do the same. If you have contention with somebody else, learn how to make it right and have reconciliation. Because those same people that you are keeping out of your life might actually be the very same people that can comfort you in your hardest trial if you would just learn how to let go and forgive. We don't think in those terms, do we? We, we usually keep people out of our life because we think that the only thing they can bring to us is pain. But Paul says here that Mark was a comfort to me. So something to think about. The third thing we learn from Paul's friends, is a guy named Epaphras. And Epaphras teaches us about pastoral care. Pastoral care. Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, remember Epaphras is the one who started the church, a bondservant of Christ, greets you always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has a great zeal for you and those who are in Laodicea and those who are in Hierapolis. So Epaphras was a pastor who started the church that was in Colossae 
And then he traveled, remember, 1,200 miles all the way to visit Paul, who was in Rome, in prison, to say, hey, listen, there's some heresy going on, Gnosticism, all this crazy stuff. And so, Paul, would you write this letter to this church to show them how to live the full life in Christ? And so Paul is saying, hey, guys, that guy Epaphras, he actually loves you. And he cares for you. He's always laboring for you fervently in prayers. Laboring. Struggling. That word there means agonizing in prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but it's, it's rare that I have times that I'm agonizing in prayer for other people. I'm always agonizing for myself. But it's very hard to agonize for other people, right? Unless you've learned how to suffer with your friends. Many of you know, like one person in our church whose wife had a stroke at the early ages of 30. And we were all agonizing in prayer. We were all struggling and pleading on the behalf of this young woman, Lord, would you answer, would you heal? And he has, and it's amazing. And when you struggle in prayer, you can also rejoice when that prayer is answered, knowing that you participated in pleading to God to see a person healed. It's amazing. And we should do that so much more. And Epaphras had this care. And his goal was to see them stand perfect and complete in the will of God. I love that. Epaphras, as the pastor of this church, wanted to see the success of each and every member. Listen here. As, as the pastor of Impact, the youth ministry here, my goal is that you would stand perfect and complete in the will of God. That you would know, just like I said in the beginning, you would know what God is calling you to do in your life. And all of us as youth leaders, we're praying for you on a regular basis that God would meet you. He would show himself to you. That you wouldn't believe the, the lies of the enemy. That you wouldn't be distracted from his calling and, and from the Lord's purpose in your life. And so when we ask you to do things, when we're pleading, recognize it's not just because we want to boss you around. I'm a selfish person. Maybe I'll do something like that every now and then. But know that it mostly comes from the heart of a person that wants to see you succeed because we love you. We care for you. And so something to recognize, too, is like I have a pastor. His name is Pastor Lloyd. You guys have a pastor. His name is Pastor Lloyd. And all of us, reckon, like sometimes it's hard to recognize that pastors are there to be for our success. And we should be praying for our pastors. We should be praying for the pastors on staff, the elders. And listen, this is a habit I cultivated ever since I was six years old. That my parents taught me to pray for people in ministry. So I would always pray for Pastor Lloyd ever since I was six years old. That was like one of the things I included in my staple prayer. And Pastor Lloyd says it all the time. That he believes the, the success of the church has been due to people's prayers. Although he refers to the prayer warriors that are in their 50s and, and 60s. And, and people that are adults. People that are mature. But maybe, maybe it's all those people in children's ministry. Imagine you get to heaven and you recognize like all the little kids are the ones that are making the success of the church because they're the ones that have the most faith. Jesus even said it, right? He said, you need to have faith like a mustard seed. You have to have faith like a child to enter the kingdom of God. That'd be cool. That'd be cool if we found that out one day. So recognize that pastors are there to shepherd us. Doesn't mean that we're always perfect, but that is our goal. And so when we have times that we correct you or instruct you, guide you, that's the place that it comes from. Now, if a pastor ever says something contrary to Scripture, if I ever say something contrary to the Word of God, that's when you got to be careful and that's when you should leave. Because it will never, God's um, will will never contradict His Word. 
Peter D. O'Brien, who's a commentator, said this about Epaphras. He said, Epaphras was intimately acquainted with the affairs of the, of the congregation. He, perhaps as no other, knew of the destruction, destructive nature of the false teaching and responded in regular, urgent intercession. You know the word Israel means wrestling with God? That was the name that Jacob received when God was wrestling him in uh, the book of Genesis. And he said, from now on, your name will be Israel, agonizing, wrestling, struggling with God. And that's the picture of the people of God, isn't it? Not just Israel in the Old Testament, but us as well. Oftentimes, we're constantly struggling. We're constantly wrestling at times. But when you know that God loves you, now it's not just you're just constantly confused and you're in despair, but now you can come from a place of, Lord, I want to wrestle with you in prayer that your kingdom would come so that we can see your will done here on earth as it is in heaven so that we could see people's lives being changed and people being transformed by the good news. The last thing we see, we already read some of these things, but in verse 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, who wrote the book of Acts and book of Luke, and Demas greet you. Demas later for, forsook Paul. It says, greet the brethren who are in Laodicea and Nymphos and the church that is in his house. Now some textual variants think that Nymphos is actually a woman, not a man, but it's kind of hard to tell. Either way, it's irrelevant. Verse 16, now when this epistle is read among you, see that it's also read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, pay attention, this is the last point for the night. Say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And this salutation by my hand, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. So, Paul, the very last thing that he says is, listen, I'm signing this. This is me. It's coming from me. And remember my chains. And he's not just talking about, I think, his physical chains. I'm saying his chains and labor for the gospel. They put his life on the line so that people can come to know Jesus. But this guy, Archippus, people debate on who he was. Maybe he was actually Philemon's son. People aren't really sure. But here's the one thing that we know. That Paul had a very direct word for Archippus. And I think it's a fitting way to end this book. It's just as many people may step into the fullness of God, but they can also miss out on the fullness of God. Maybe people like Archibus can be walking away or leaving the ministry of God unfulfilled in their life. Leaving the calling of God unfulfilled. Maybe perhaps you're here tonight and you have yet to step into the fullness of what God has to offer you. And what the Lord would say is to fulfill your ministry. Ministry is not just working at a church doing events like this or doing like vertical identity conference ministry is just service that's it being able to serve one another to love one another and maybe there's something that god's calling you to do and you also are to fulfill your ministry and by that entering into that new reality and the fullness that god has for you and so in the coming weeks what we're going to be doing is next week we know that we have the good uh friday service in the following week, we're going to start a brand new study that's going to be apologetic in nature, so a defense of the faith. Maybe you're here and you're still kind of checking out Christianity. You're not sure if it's true. That's going to be a great time to, to jump right in because we want you to know, like, as you go off to college, many of you, we want you to know there, there are good answers to the things that you believe. 
there's a lot of things that you can study and you can know about your faith so that your faith isn't just emotional, which is fine, but also you can know your faith is intellectual. There's, there's truth behind all of this. So the study is going to be called Truth and Apply. And so what I'm hoping to do is we're going to alternate weeks. One week we're going to have a complete apologetic teaching. So, for instance, one will be, the first one will be on um, the fine-tuning of the universe. How you know that the, the universe is designed, and by that design, that there is a God. And then the following week, we're going to see an application of something like uh, the ramifications of the fine-tuning of the universe. So the first week will be on the fine-tuning uh, argument for the existence of God. The second week, which has to be taught by Joe Fisher, will be on what are we actually designed to do. So I think it's going to be a fun study because you're going to have alternate weeks like that. And then the next week... We'll have one on miracles and then ramifications of miracles or seeing miracles in the New Testament and also in our everyday lives. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. But hopefully you'll get two things. One, you're going to grow in your understanding of some of the things going on in, in our world today and confronting the culture that says that Christianity is bogus. You'll be able to have good answers. And then the second thing is you'll, you'll find spiritual application for your daily life on, okay, I know that God exists, but what does this mean for me in my everyday life? And then going into the summer, we're going to do another study. But all this to say, there are many people outside of these walls that are hurting, that need the healing touch of Jesus, and we can bring it to them if we would only step into that new reality. Let's pray.